Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, with our Week 8 preview, previewing the five biggest games of the weekend. And Dalton, I got to let you know this one thing. In the last four hours before we start recording the show, I have been doing extensive research because this is the fifth straight weekend with at least four games between ranked teams. That hasn't happened since the 2012 season. Five straight weekends of four ranked games. I, I went through every single year. It took it was very meticulous. I honestly didn't think I was going to get it done in time. I got it done like 10 minutes ago. Finally finding the last time this has happened where there's five straight weekends of four ranked games, man. That just shows you we are in college football heaven right now, Dalton. And we have some massive games that we're talking about today. Oh, certainly. There's big games every week. And with all the parity that's come in this year, it does not feel like, even with Georgia trying to three-peat, it does not feel like we have just one, two, three teams in this race. There are probably legitimately 12 to 15 teams who are still playoff candidates if they run the table from here on in. And there's this huge games every week now, top 10 matchups, in-conference matchups, rivalries, Big names, it, you you name it. I mean, we we're getting everything every week right now, and it's I, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but I mean, it, within the last decade, it is. And when you've got matchups this big with this big of playoff implications every single week, it gets to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, five straight weekends of four ranked games that hasn't happened in eleven years, man. So enjoy it right now because I'm looking ahead to next week. I, I don't think we're gonna get four ranked games again uh, next week, but we're gonna enjoy this week as we can. And this is the biggest game, Dalton, that we're talking about first. Number seven, Penn. State at number three, Ohio State, 12 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. I'm actually going to be in attendance in the press box. Shout out Dave Sofaro for getting me a credential. There's a very strict rule that you cannot cheer in the press box. So me as a diehard Penn State fan is going to be internally screaming the entire game. Uh, but Dolan, the big, the big storyline obviously is can my Nittany Lions, can they finally get over the hump, man? Because right now, they're in the shadow of Ohio State and Michigan. In each of the last six seasons, either Ohio State or Michigan has won the Big Ten Conference, with Penn State kind of being the little brother to those two. And Penn State last year, 11-2, they won the Rose Bowl. Only two losses were Ohio State and Michigan. So now, all of a sudden, and Ohio State right now has beaten Penn State in six straight games. That is the longest streak in this series history is six straight Ohio State's taking down Penn State. Now, all of a sudden, Penn State, a lot of Penn State fans think, hey, this is the year. This is the year for them to finally get over the hump, win the Big Ten, make the college football playoff. Uh, and we'll see, man. We'll see. They have to get over Ohio State and Michigan first, though, if they want to do that. What is the matchup that you want to see in this game to see if Penn State can go from a New Year's Six team to a college football playoff team? This is this is a weird one because I think a theme for me in these games that we're doing is is teams that have been through adversity and either come out of it or they need to rebound from it, right? Like you take Ohio State and you go, okay, now they have Kyle McCord and they're trying to work him in and still win games. And the Notre Dame game was a war that they got through. Or or you look at USC coming off a big loss or Oregon coming off a big loss or Alabama with the quarterback problems, right? Penn State's the one team we're going to talk about today that really hasn't been through any adversity, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at the offensive grades of their opponents. Okay. They're um, they 98th, 125th, 120th, 89th and West Virginia was 42nd. But if I take out a blowout against Duquesne, who's not a particularly good FCS team, 
that drops to 85th. So you could argue Penn State has not played a top 80 offense in the country. Then the defenses, right? They played Iowa, who's third in the grading, yet they haven't played another team in the top 80 in defense. So I, Penn State 7-0 and has always earned, but the mo- it's now it's just suddenly the moment for them, right? They're not particularly efficient offensively, right? They, if I take out last week's just practice game against UMass, their offensive line is still grading like 62nd in the country. We've talked about this for several weeks against Illinois or when they played Iowa. That their offensive line outside of Fashanu is kind of an issue. And this is this Ohio State matchup is not one that it's arguably, if it's not the best front seven in the country, it's probably in the top five. Tui Molowau, definitely. Um, Sawyer. Eichenberg, Chamber, all these guys, uh, Williams, Ohio State has a boatload of guys you need to block. And Penn State just hasn't been through the adversity up front to really like kind of iron sharpens iron sort of thing and get better up front. You know, and we saw them against Illinois struggle for about three quarters of that game with Johnny Newton and those guys. And even against Iowa, you know, you have an offense that they ran 97 plays against Iowa, right? <laughs> they had the ball for over 45 minutes, which I don't know the last time I've seen that. And they still only came out, even though it was close to 400 yards of total offense, it was only like four yards of play flat. It's it's just not an efficient offense. Their, res- their receiving cores dropped 15 balls. Drew Aller only, uh, you know, I like Drew Aller a lot. He keeps the ball at a harm's way, and he plays the way that he needs to play for them to win these games, but he's only got three big time throws on the season, mm-hmm. which I believe is the second most with someone is with as many dropbacks around 195 dropbacks as him second least in the country there. This is a, this is a hard one for me with Penn state's offense. Cause I haven't seen a ton of explosive and really even a ton of efficient for them. And when you think about Ohio state kind of playing the same style of ball defense first, game manager at quarterback, but they have more explosive playmakers. You've yeah. got Harrison, you've got Ibuka. If Ibuka plays, if Travion Henderson plays, you know, even Henderson popped off for the 60-yard touchdown against Notre Dame, they have guys who you know can do it, right? I'm not entirely sure that Penn State, this is a, this is as big a step up as it gets. Now, they played Iowa's defense. That's the only comparable that I have for it. And it, they had the ball a ton. And Aller had four touchdowns, all under 10 yards. But it's they weren't efficient. We've just seen continuous cracks in this offense despite easy competition. And, and I'm not sure this is the week where they suddenly start scoring a bunch of points. Yeah, you mentioned that too, man. I mean, the run game for Penn State, which is supposed to be one of the best parts of this team, has not been able to do anything because, like you mentioned, the offensive line is not really blocking well either. And still, Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen are not creating too much for themselves either. So the run, it really is all on Drew Aller's shoulders, basically, this offense. I wanted to go to the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned it a little bit of my biggest matchup is, okay, just how legit is this Penn State defense, man? Right now, they're leading the country in EPA for play by a mile, basically. Uh, they're only allowing 8.2 points per game, which is right behind Michigan for the best in the country. But like you mentioned, 
it's important to contextualize those stats with the offenses they played. In terms of EPA per play, West Virginia is 62nd in the country. Delaware, FCS school. Illinois, 105th in the country. Iowa, 133rd. There's 133 FBS teams, by the way. Iowa, dead last in EPA per play. Northwestern, 101st. UMass, 110th. So, of all those offenses, Delaware is an FCS school, and four of the other five games have come against teams outside of the top 100 in EPA per play. Penn State has played maybe the easiest schedule in terms of offensive teams of any team so far this season, man. It has been super easy, and by comparison, Ohio State is not as explosive as they were in years past, but they're still 13th in the country in EPA per play. This is still a top 15 offense that Penn State is going against, but... The one thing I will say that I think Penn State can do well defensively in this game is that Kyle McCord is kind of a statue in the pocket. He's not very good under pressure. Right now, he has a 33.8 grade under pressure, seventh worst among Power 5 quarterbacks. Penn State, meanwhile, leads the country in pass rush win rate and pressure rate. This season, Chop Robinson, who we've interviewed, if you want to check out that interview, he is one of the top edge defenders in the NFL draft, one of the top edge defenders in college football, and he could have a very good game against an okay Ohio State offensive line. And if they get pressure on Kyle McCord, I don't care how good those receivers are, man. It could be a long day for the Ohio State offense. But ultimately, Dalton, who are you rolling with in this top 10 showdown? I think I think you make a great point about the pass rush and Robinson and McCord because that's that's really, to me, the one way Penn State can win this game if they can get pressure up front yeah. with four and they can hold up reasonably well. I believe are they? I think they're still leading the country in passer rating allowed. I mean, I it all so. it all blends together, right? Marrying the pass rush with the coverage. That's the one way they can keep themselves in and stay in this game. Because for as much as I, I want to say that the way to win this game is for Aller to be superhuman, I just don't think he has the surrounding you know, the supporting cast to be able to do that. I think he's yeah. got the talent. I think on certain teams, he would be that guy. Yeah. But the way this team is choosing to play and and the way that, I mean, it's a very average offensive line. It's a very average receiving core. And the backs just aren't able, you know, when everybody knows you're going to run the ball, it's really hard to run the ball, right? McCord, I really like what I see from McCord. I've told you before, I think he's one of the most fun tape watches in the country right now. I, I it's and it's not because he's like big and flashy like Shadur or Jaden Daniels or one of those things. You're you're just seeing modest like improvement every week. The Notre Dame game, you know, he got through it. He made a couple of big throws when he needed to. The last couple of weeks, they showed they had some adversity against Maryland. Look, honestly, Maryland even is better than any team that Penn State has played so far. Yeah, and they were they were behind early in that game and overcame it. And Kyle McCord. Is really he's really kind of mastering the complimentary football thing right now. I really like what's going on. The, the two things that can hurt Ohio State in this game are Penn State's pass rush, like you mentioned, and if if Henderson and or Ibuka aren't playing, so one thing McCord does need is the full complement, right? Mm-hmm. Harrison's great, Ibuka's great, Cade Stover's great, Travion Henderson fully loaded. I think even with McCord, Ohio State's as good as anybody. Right. Injuries could be a problem here. But I think Ohio State, these two teams play a very similar style of football. And I think Ohio State's better at it. Um, I, I just Penn State, I don't know what to make of Penn State until this game is over because they just haven't played anybody. It, it's it's I know Ohio State against it's not a ton, but no at Notre Dame, Maryland, they really beat up Purdue last week and Purdue's not horrible. 
you know, I just know more about Ohio State, I feel like, than Penn State. They play similar styles of ball. It's in Columbus. And and I'm just not seeing enough from Penn State's offense to think they could go for more than maybe 17 points in this game. I'm I'm gonna go Ohio State 21, Penn State 13. Okay. That's fair. I actually it, it I don't feel good about this, but I feel like I have to ride the Nittany Lions, man. I'm going Penn State 24, Ohio State 21. I'm being a little homer here. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Uh, but I do think the pass rush for Penn State could be a big, big part of this game. And I think that could be ultimately what leads this team to victory. And I think, you know, this is the first time I got to go back, maybe carry Collins for Penn State in the 90s. This is the first time I can remember Penn State having the better quarterback going into the Ohio State game, which I think also could matter. Now, of course, the complement of weapons and the offensive uh, structure around him, way better in Columbus than it is in Happy Valley. But I do think Drew Aller, this could be a statement game for him and say, hey, I'm the number one overall pick in 2025. Like, I'm going to be the guy next year. Uh, so I got Penn State in this one, man. I think it'll get out of Ohio State's shadow, establish itself, establish itself as a legitimate college football playoff contender. Uh, but I will not lie to you guys. I don't feel good about it. I think this is, this is a game that I, I can see going either way, man. And if you're a betting man, I would avoid this game because I truly do not know where it's going to go. And why this is going to be the biggest game of the weekend is we just don't know in this game. It's going to be a great game, and I can't wait for it. Another great game, though, Dalton, at 3.30 on CBS is number 17, Tennessee, at number 11, Alabama. Last year, it was an instant classic, man. Sixth-ranked Tennessee beat number three Alabama, 52-49. to 49. It was an absolute shootout. Jalen Hyde, I think, had five touchdown catches in that game. Hendon Hooker was unreal. Um, it was the first loss of the season. It was Nick Saban's first ever loss to Tennessee as Alabama's head coach. Now, Alabama needs to beat Tennessee and avenge that loss if they want any chance of making the college football playoff. Uh, and Tennessee wants to establish itself as you know the biggest threat to Georgia in the SEC East division. But ultimately, Dawn, what is the matchup that you're really looking forward to in this game? This is a fun one. I, you know, I almost forgot about last year's game, as memorable as it was, because you've got this game is going to look nothing at all <laughs> yep. like last year. Yep, that's this what I was going to say too. <laughs> this is not Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker. This is – it's actually scary how similar these, these two teams are. Okay, let, let me give you some. Since week four, right, four games, four weeks, I should say. I think Tennessee had a bye week. These two teams are number one and two, Tennessee one and Alabama two in defensive grade since week four. Wow. These are the, Over the last four weeks, these are the two best defenses – in the country. Here's the difference, okay? Alabama's number 11 in offensive grade, right? Because week three was a real inflection point for both. Tennessee lost to Florida, and Bama had the whole ordeal at USF, okay? Since week four, they put Milrow back in there. They're the 11th highest graded offense in the country. The problem is Tennessee is 78th. Joe Milton, over the last three games, has a 50.4 passing grade and two big-time throws and six turnover-worthy plays. They don't... You know, I talked about this after the Florida game. They don't schematically do a whole lot. They run down the pipe. They throw screens on the outside, and Milton throws it as far as he can. And you're just starting to see teams adjust to where if you don't give up that play over the, that big play over the top, there's not really a whole lot of answers. They don't make any like real throws on you know underneath in uh, under 20 yards. To be honest, they just don't make enough moving the chain type of throws now. You got a lot of similar elements on this team. Okay. 
James Pierce Jr., second in the country in pass rush grades. Spectacular. Dallas Turner for Alabama leads the country in pressures. Kamal Haddon for mm-hmm. Tennessee, second in the country with over a 90 coverage grade, right? We've been over Alabama's secondary with McKinstry and Arnold and Downs and Key and everything they have. I, I think they're the best secondary in the country. Yep. Where this game, I think, will be won is on the ground. Yeah, you, you have to avoid all of that with both of these teams. You don't want to be dropping back and having Turner or Pierce run rushing the passer. You don't want to throw deep into these secondaries. I think the team with more rushing yards wins this game. You've got Jalen Wright, who's really, really good, 7.1 yards per carry. And Tennessee, it's a whole different mentality than last year. Last year, you had a hooker and, and those receivers, Hyatt, Tillman, gunning the ball down the field. They line up. And they run power for the most part, pulling guards, getting right downhill at you. And Jalen Wright, Jalen Wright is the first down machine. Mm-hmm. No question. And to be honest with you, I'd like to see them get Joe Milton more involved in there. He's at 8.8 yards a carry himself. They just don't run him enough. He's got, I think it's 219 yards on 19 carries or 20 carries. Something somewhere somewhere in there, if you include the scrambles, it's it's very few carries and a lot of yards. There is is the point. They really don't use him a whole lot, even though he's a really good athlete. And Alabama's kind of the same way where they've figured out, we've talked about, they have a bigger offensive line than any NFL team, right? Mm-hmm. They've decided they just line up two mm-hmm. tight ends on the field and they just put you on the sled over and over and over. And McClellan and Roydell Williams are both really good at finding the holes through that. Kind of, It's kind of almost like that, um, I, can, I can compare it to like how the Steelers kind of ran things when they had Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Just, just line up, yep. double teams, and let the back find the hole. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what Bama's doing. And off of that, you still have Milrow as a massive threat. And Milrow, I mean, you got, have we ever seen a matchup with two quarterbacks with stronger arms than these two guys? Dude, I don't think we have, man. I don't think we I, have. I mean, you've, you've got guys who – now, Bama's starting to hit their shots two or three times a game, which is big. But it's all set up by the run game for both of these teams. So I, I think the team with more rushing yards – wins this wins this game and because mcclellan's just he's got him man he's like a one of those blue collar like workhorse backs who just it feels like you know and even even on the you know the rare occasion when they're missing blocks in these in these duo kind of schemes he's really good at making guys miss in the backfield making that one cut just to just to make something happen make five yards out of nothing i, I mean you know we've we've been over bama's offense a lot and and you have to these are both teams i think you have to put in obvious passing situations whoever runs for more and gets the lead first is going to have a huge advantage in this game absolutely matt i think that's a great breakdown you made and yes it is going to really come down to the run game and listen like we mentioned if you are hoping for another shootout like last year, prepare to be disappointed, man, because this is not at all the same as last year. Bryce Young and Hendon Hooker aren't walking through that door anytime soon. Now, Joe Millen has filled in admirably, or excuse me, uh, Jalen Moreau has filled in admirably for Bryce Young, but he's still not Bryce Young. He's still not the number one overall pick. Like right now, uh, Jalen Moreau has a 79.2 passing grade. Young in his career had a 92.9 passing grade. Joe Millen has not filled in Hendon Hooker's shoes at all. And they look like probably clown shoes on his feet right now because he right now, man, he is 106th in the country with a 62.2 passing grade. He has as many turnover-worthy plays as big-time throws this season. We were all very excited for Joe Millen in this vertical-based scheme. He has by far 
the strongest arm in college football. He's, he's even said it himself. He could throw 90-plus yards if he wants to. So we were thinking about, oh, my God, with how many deep vertical throws they threw last year, imagine that with the strongest arm in the country, and it looked great in the Orange Bowl against Clemson when Hennon Hooker didn't play in it. It hasn't looked like that this year. And Joe Mellon has really, really struggled. And then, like you mentioned, man, the, the defensive backfields for both of these teams are fantastic. I would make the argument Kamal Haddon might be the best corner in America right now. He is playing unreal football. We didn't talk about him in our midseason All-American team or our midseason awards, but he has really been incredible this season. He actually was a guy that Tennessee fans even let me know on Twitter. They were booing him sometimes because he struggled early in his career and they were booing him and wanting him off the field now he's the best corner in college football in my opinion right now so he has been unreal there are five dbs in this game who have 80 plus grades so far this season with kamal haddon wesley walker tennessee's other safety uh alabama safety caleb downs and of course uh terry arnold and kool-aid mckinstry and i'm glad you brought up real quick i want to talk about this guy Dallas Turner's going to be a top 10 pick. He leaves the country in pressure, like you said. The one guy who I, I tweeted about this past week, and Tennessee fans uh, love that, that people are finally talking about him, James Pierce Jr., dude. This guy, I think he could be a top five pick in 2025, man. He is crazy. He leads the FBS in pressure rate. He also is third in pass rush win rate. His speed to power Dalton is ridiculous. Uh, we Just to kind of spoil some of our plans for after the season is over, we are planning on doing an NFL mock draft, but everybody in college football is eligible, not just the guys who are actually in the draft. I think there's a chance, dude, that James Pierce Jr. is our number one edge defender in that all-eligible mock draft. What do you think about that? It's, it's entirely possible. You talk about a freak athlete getting everything done on the edge. He's one of the, one of those prototypes, man. I mean, we talk about these other guys like Watu and Verse, and there's a handful of guys who are the prototype. He's he's in that group for sure. It's he's he was he's really the missing piece from their defense last yeah. year. You know, uh, last year they they weren't particularly great up front, and, and this guy's emergence, man. He's oh he's he could cause a major problem in this game. I mean, Milrow wants to stand back there and hold the ball forever. And Pierce may just not let him. If he gets in Milrow's lap early in this game, it could cause Alabama a lot of problems. Absolutely. And listen, uh, I put out we, we put out our midseason awards, but I also put out my midseason awards with finalists for each of them. Dallas Turner and James Pierce Jr. were finalists for the Benaric Award and Nagurski Trophy, which is the best defensive player in college football. So I consider those two two of the three best defensive players in college football. So uh, Jalen Milrow and Joe Milrow are going to be under pressure probably a lot in this game because Tennessee's offensive line has not really played that well. And Alabama's has had struggles this, this season as well. So ultimately, Dolan, though, who are you rolling with? Uh, and will it be as high scoring as last year or are we in for a uh, pretty low scoring game? I, I just find this funny. These first two games, we talk about how similar these teams are. And this yeah. this one, especially when I started digging into it, just how just scary similar. They're like the same exact team, <laughs> uh, honestly. <laughs> Um, I think you got a couple factors working in Bama's favor. I do think they have a quarterback advantage. Milrow, since you know, since getting put back in the starting lineup, has been very good. Um, he's mm-hmm. done everything they've needed him to do. They don't ask him to do too, too much like certain quarterbacks in the country, but he's done everything they've asked of him. Um, they, I, I just think of you know, you've got these two teams: defense, run the ball take your shots, mobile-ish quarterback, especially on Bama's side. I think Bama's just the better version of it and the games in Tuscaloosa. I I just, Joe Milton, I think the one thing Tennessee should do in this game if they want a shot is run Joe Milton more than they have been. Um, Bama 
Bama's yet to allow a 100-yard rusher this season, and most of the best performances against them are quarterbacks. Actually, I believe the best one was Byron Brown um, from USF. He had the best rushing performance out of anybody. Bama's just lethal in run defense. I mean, it's the same thing. We talked about Kirby Smart in Georgia last week. They don't give up any yards to backs. Neither the Alabama. I mean, that's where it came from, right? They don't give up any yards to running backs. And if you're one-dimensional against Alabama, you're going to lose. They, they just – Tennessee has to – I don't know if it's going to come from pure luck or just making plays on the outside with the screen game or what, but there's there's not much in Tennessee's passing game right now that makes me feel like they're a huge threat to Bama. They're going to have to play spectacular in the front seven. Pierce has to get after Milrow before he breaks the pocket. And and they they need to force they need to force some turnovers or or something has to happen in their front seven for them to stay in this game because if they're one dimensional on offense it's it it could get not like blowout super like forty nine to ten ugly but like ugly in the sense of you're just looking at Tennessee kind of like in the Florida game where you're just looking at them and you go they're they're not coming back like they just. They don't want to. They they neither of these teams wants to, but especially Tennessee. They don't want to just drop back and throw the ball. Yeah, they they just don't have that this year between Milton and the receivers. I mean, they lost yeah. two receivers in the draft. Those you know, part of it is Milton, and part of it is just their receivers are not nearly as good as they were. Like Jalen Hyatt is not out there, man. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Bama. I'm I'm gonna say 27 to 17 Alabama. Okay. I just think it won't look like last year at all. This is a different game with two different teams. But I think Bama is the better version of essentially what is the same team on both sides. I, I just think at some key spots, they're they're just a little bit better. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is it is scary similar how how similar these teams are. But yeah, man, I think Alabama is going to win 24-17. So almost exactly the same score that you had. Uh, but like you said, I think Alabama just does it better. I think Jalen Moreau is a lot better than Joe Milton III right now, which is kind of crazy. If you told me that in the preseason, I'd say you're crazy. Now it's pretty obvious that uh, Jalen Moreau is the top quarterback in this game. And I just think Alabama's defense is going to do enough. And I, I just, I tr- it is in Tuscaloosa. It's not going to be in uh, Tennessee like it was last year. I just, I trust Alabama more in this game. So 24 17, going to be a low scoring game. It's not going to be 52 49 like last, like last year when uh, Bryce and Hennon were basically whoever has the ball last was winning that game because they were scoring touchdowns at every single drive. Not going to be like that this year. It's probably going to be an ugly game. Uh, next game they're talking about, though, another 330 kick is Washington State at number nine Oregon, which is on ABC. And the big storyline, honestly, is how do these teams respond to adversity? Oregon uh, lost to number seven Washington this past weekend, 36 to 33, one of the best games of the year, maybe the best game of the year so far this season. The Ducks held a lead in that game with under two minutes left, and then Michael Penix Jr. had his Heisman moment. I don't know if you saw the video, Dalton, of uh, Jalen McMillan, who we actually interviewed, um, if you want to check it out, pff.com, but he was rapping to Jalen McMillan before the game-winning drive, freestyling about how he was going to win the game for Washington right there. I don't think the touchdown throw was his Heisman moment. I think him freestyling before the biggest moment of his life about how he was going to do this, thats that was his Heisman moment right there. And Jalen McMillan actually tweeted out afterwards because someone tweeted the clip at him and said, please let me know what Panics was doing here. And said, yeah, he was freestyling to me about how we were going to go win this game. And it's like, that's his Heisman moment, man. That's his Heisman moment right there. But obviously, you know, they lost. Morgan lost the game. Washington State got destroyed 
by Arizona. That game wasn't nearly as close, 44-6. to and, and Washington State was favored by eight points in that game, and they lost by 38. And it was also Washington State's second straight loss, too. They lost to uh, UCLA the week before as well. So Washington State was 4-0 to start the season. They were number 13 in the AP poll. Now they're out of the top 25, and now they're 4-2 and two now, Dalton. But ultimately, what is the matchup that you're looking forward to most in this game? Um, there's a couple of things. First of all, on, on Penix, isn't it? Is it Aaron Rodgers that's always talking about manifestation and, yep. and, and saying saying what you're going to do and all that stuff? Maybe he's got a little Aaron Rodgers in him. But I don't know. if it, I bet Aaron Rodgers doesn't freestyle. But anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> I I'm, wish, I'm looking – I'm looking for the bounce back. So it's it's uh, first of all, I want to give props to Bonix. Um, last week, question heavy, what he could do outside of play action. Ninety pass, uh, ninety passing grade with on non play action last week against Washington. Props to him. Look, they lost that game because Dan Lading made a couple of questionable decisions, mm-hmm. and Michael Penix is just special, man. I, I mean, they he. You you lose to a guy like that, and I know it sucks because it's the biggest game of your season, and you lost, and now you have to run the table and all that stuff. But you lose to a guy like that, there's no shame in that. That dude yeah. makes just special throws. It's crazy. I, I think Oregon, even despite the loss, the one thing I like with them, they're as consistent a team. I, I don't know if they're the best team in college football. Probably not. Maybe. It still could be. Maybe run the table and the whole thing. Cool. But they're the most consistent team in college football. You know what you get out of Oregon every week. And you really got it out of them last week outside of just situationals and all of that. The one thing that they need to recover quickly is is the secondary, right? Now, you get torn up by Penix and Odunze and Polk and all that. Again, no shame, but it was the one thing I questioned coming in that they're very sound across the board, but you lose especially a guy like Christian Gonzalez – I wouldn't. There's not a guy in Oregon secondary that's like a first round pick, yeah. right? Maybe even not even a second round pick. They just play good football, but they ran into elite, elite talent. Probably Penix and Odunze both going first round, and Polk somewhere in the top fifty, if not higher. So you've got you've got a team who's secondary, though. That's the one piece of this who they need to recover, and you got to recover quick because we've talked before about how Washington State, Cam Ward, Josh Kelly, Lincoln Victor. These guys are dangerous. They're really dangerous. The problem for Washington State, really, for as consistent as Oregon is, all of a sudden Washington State's the most inconsistent team in the country. For the first four games, you had about a top 20 offense, right? You know, and they had balance. Cam Ward was making big throws early and late in the play. They were, their first four games, they were over 100 yards rushing in every game. They had everything. They had it going. Ben Arbuckle, the whole, the play calling, everything was solid. They had a bye week, and all of a sudden, yeah. now, you mentioned two weeks ago, they play UCLA. Best defense in the Pac-12. Top five defense in the country, right? Matchup problem. Washington State's not great in the trenches. UCLA, maybe have, you have at least the best defensive player in the country, best D-line in the country. It caused them a ton of problems. Okay. Yeah. And they lost, I think, by one score. Was it by eight? It's twenty-five to seventeen. I think it was. I believe it was. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I don't have anything against that. UCLA is really good. Okay. You come out last week, and Cam Ward. I was lucky enough, actually, I got to work on this game yesterday. And the problem for Cam Ward right now: look, the last two weeks, one big time throw, eight turnover worthy plays in the last two games. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're seeing him, two things I see, late in the play, right? If things break down after his first read, 
just just some rough decision making. I mean, throwing the ball into traffic, the two or three fumbles are mixed in there. Just just some poor decision making late in the play that he was not making. You saw him late in the play against Oregon State. He was spectacular. I, I mean, just moving, throws on the move, scramble drill, the whole bit. Right now, late in the play, he's trying to play this hero ball. And I don't know if there's some carryover from that UCLA game or what, but they're not going to win like that. Okay. Two, I'm seeing times when he's hesitant, when his first read is open and he's just not pulling the trigger. Something's off, just off with Cam Ward. Just the timing, everything about he's either he's either not pulling the trigger or he's pulling the trigger into bad spots. And, and, And I mean, it's really carrying over. That's the first part that's carrying over. The other thing, too, officially over the last two weeks, they only have 47 rushing yards. Wow. When in their fir- in their first four games, they had over 100 in every game. They were so they're getting no balance. They're getting poor decision making. Right now over the last 2 weeks, 44.3 offensive grade is the worst in college football. They're the worst offense and they went from a top legitimately a top 20 offense that was putting up something near 40 points a game, high flying, three really good receivers, all, and all of a sudden the worst offense in college football the last 2 weeks. They, I mean, it's it's hard to. I don't know what was said or done or adjusted in the, in the bye week a few weeks ago, or if it's just you know you put up seventeen, you get beat by UCLA again. I don't have an issue with that, but Arizona is like not a good defensive team, yeah. and they and their coverage unit especially just took the game over. It, it was it was weird to see, and I don't I don't know. I don't know what the fix is other than they, they need to play a lot better because they need to have some balance and play a lot better. But right now, this it doesn't even look like the same team as they did before the bye week. No, absolutely not. And I'll tell you what we're wrong, Dalton, is that we interviewed Cam Ward on this show during the bye week, and I think there might be a preferred walk-on curse, man. There might be a preferred walk-on curse. Now, for future players who want to come on the show, we that probably doesn't exist. We'll see maybe later on, but I don't know, man. Because I, I, like you said – it has been a stark. Oh. Is, difference. is that is that why is that why you didn't want to interview Drew Aller this week? No, what it is? no, yeah, we had we had Drew, you know, messaged us and said, "Hey, can I come on the show?" And we we're like, "Absolutely not." Wait until they have. No, he didn't actually do that, but uh, yeah, I've been fine with it. I've been good. <laughs> but uh, Cam Ward, dude, we mentioned it. I eighty-eight point two grade in the first four games, top twenty in the country for quarterbacks. He also had a one fifty-one point two passer rating on throws ten plus yards downfield. That was second in the country, man. Last four games, and in that Oregon State game too, he had a career high ninety point six grade. So yes, the th- first three games pretty easy opponents, but I mean you play Oregon State. Number 12 in the country, pretty good defensively. And you have your career high 90.6 grade with 404 yards. I mean, he looked on fire in those first four games. Last two games, he has a 45.9 grade that is seventh worst among all quarterbacks in the nation, man. There is a big difference. I think he did a great breakdown because I saw it too, man, where he is just putting the ball in harm's way. He is late on throws. He's not trusting his receivers right now. Uh, hopefully he gets it going, man, because we love Cam Ward on the show. Obviously, he's a fantastic kid. He's going to be playing on Sundays eventually, uh, but he's got to get it fixed, man, because you got you got a really good defense now in Oregon that you're playing against, a really well-coached defense with Dan Lanning you know, at the helm there. Uh, it's going to be tough for Cam Ward, and Oregon's defense has embarrassed some quarterbacks. Not Michael Penix Jr., obviously, but Shador Sanders. Remember that Colorado game? They couldn't do anything offensively. If Cam Ward's not careful, it could become kind of like that uh, Colorado game where Oregon is just doing whatever they want 
to the to the Cougars. But ultimately, Dalton, what is the uh, final score and who are you going with in this game? I um, here's I'm going to give you one more reason why why this game is a problem. So we, we mentioned the offense and, and Washington State before these last two weeks. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We kind of liked their defense. Was it like the best defense in the country? No, but we kind of liked it. It was like okay, there's some pieces here. They're decent on the edge, um, safety. You know, they, they have some things to work with. And all of a sudden, their other problem is too is they have the worst run defense grade in the Power Five over the last two weeks also. Ooh. If you're going into Eugene <laughs> no. with a wicked struggling offense making late throws yep. against a secondary that doesn't have an elite talent but is very fundamentally sound most weeks, and you're walking in with an ice-cold run defense, you have major, major issues. Mm-hmm. And, and and I, I, try, to, I try to find reasons I, I don't like picking blowouts it's not fun and i try to find reasons that every team can win games but if if they look if they don't look drastically drastically better than they looked last week this is going to look like that oregon colorado game i, I and, and I, i'm i'm gonna go ahead i'm gonna go ahead and say it I, i'm gonna go 45 17 oregon i, I i'm that is actually more than the offense the part that concerns me is is the last they have just gotten mauled the last two weeks uh, up front, and Oregon, Oregon's an elite running team. I mean, even last week, two hundred fourteen yards rushing against Washington. You know, Washington did a better job than the three twenty they gave up the year before, but two fourteen still a big time number in a top ten game. And and to be honest, that's an average day for Oregon. They if Washington State's run D looks like it has the last two weeks. Oregon's going to rack at least 300 on the ground, yeah. and that's that's the wheelhouse. I mean, and I know, again, I gave Nick's credit for last week dropping back and sprinting out, especially in big situations and throwing the ball. But they, the bread and butter here for Oregon is on the table, and, and I fully expect them to take advantage. I'll take the Ducks 45-17. to 17. Yeah, I almost have the same score as you, man. I have 38-17 Oregon in this game. I think Cam Ward will somewhat rebound from that slump, man. But, I mean, Oregon is hungry right now. After that Washington loss, after that devastating, heartbreaking loss, they are hungry. And You know, Dan Landing, you know, motivates his guys better than almost any coach in the country right now. They are going to come out angry in this game, which I think is not a good sign for Washington State. I actually didn't know about that run defense part. Uh, I feel even more confident about an Oregon blowout victory now because Oregon loves to run the football. They're one of the top running teams in the country right now with Bucky Irving leading the way and, and all the other running backs they got there too. I Yeah, I just, I just don't see. And with how well coached they are defensively and how much Washington State is, is struggling offensively, I just it's gonna be tough for me to to see Washington State keeping this close. But we're rooting for Cam Ward. We're obviously rooting for him, but it's, it's a tough matchup for him to it's a tough bounce back game. This is not a, a team that you want to bounce back against in Oregon. Uh so Cam Ward, hopefully we're wishing him the best, man. But yeah, I got Oregon in this game 38 to 17. Uh the next game we're talking about is one of the two night games that we're talking about, which is number 16 Duke at number four, Florida State, 7 30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. Biggest storyline, honestly, Dalton, is will Riley Leonard play? Another quarterback that we interviewed on the show, so if you want to check out that interview, he's a fantastic kid. He unfortunately suffered a high ankle sprain in that loss to Notre Dame three weeks ago. 
Mike Elko, the head coach, recently said that Leonard is, quote, day-to-day with that ankle sprain. So, obviously, this is a huge game. They're going to do whatever he can to get him on the field. Um, their backup, you know, Henry Bale in the fourth, has, has played pretty well. 75.1 grade last week in the win over NC State. But, ultimately, I don't think Duke has a chance of upsetting Florida State unless Riley Leonard plays in this game. Right now, Riley Leonard is a first-round prospect on PFF's 2024 NFL Draft Big Board. I just don't see the Blue Devils really having a shot in Tallahassee, Dalton, unless they have number 13 back there under center. I agree, and I think I think it rolls right into something I want to spotlight that I, I think with these two teams doesn't get talked about enough. These are two of the elite secondaries yep. in the country. All right, I, I, you've got Duke has the highest grade. They're cornerbacks. They're the highest graded group of cornerbacks in the country in coverage, a ninety-one point five. And Florida State is right behind them at fifth with an eighty-nine point six. These are two big-time secondaries that you need every bit of the arsenal in the passing game. To, to get through they're in man they you know they're really good in contested situations florida state is first in coverage duke's in the top 15 wow and the funny part is you would think you know this is going to work both ways too because they're receivers on each side all right I, I looked at this i just found it funny in contested situations you would think florida state with coleman and wilson and even jaheim bell are great you would think they're great in contested catch situations 59.9 receiving grade is 111th in the country. Wow. It seems odd because Coleman at Michigan State was known for that, and and we saw him make the one-handed catch last week, right? It seems odd, but they kind of are in a lot of those situations and don't convert a high percentage of them. And Duke, their receivers are even worse at a 57.7 at 115th in the country, even below that. So you've got you've got two teams with excellent secondaries that are tough to crack. And and you're gonna, you know, they're gonna have to scheme some guys open, have some balance. You've got, you know, you got Miles Jones for Duke is the number one graded corner in the country right now. Florida State has an excellent crew, Jarion Jones, Renardo Green, guys like that. They both run because they have these great corners, a ton of man coverage. Duke is the best man coverage team in the country mm-hmm. right now, and Florida State is sixth. And they're both only allowing in man coverage about 47% of passes to be completed. And Florida State in man coverage is not giving up a touchdown. So these two teams, I can guarantee you, they're going to line up in man coverage. They're going to trust the matchups, whether Leonard's in there or not. Even with Riley Leonard in there, Florida State's going to line up and they're going to play man-to-man. They're going to jam at the line of scrimmage. And they're going to they're gonna try to get Jared Verse just after, especially, look, Leonard's best asset despite being the first-round prospect and all this stuff the best thing riley leonard does is run the football take off scrambling sometimes there's some read options some design in there even if he plays on a high ankle which is really bothersome right he's got to be able to move in this game Mm -hmm. because guys i'm telling you on both sides guys are not going to get open real real quick right this is especially if you want throws down the field it's going to take a while And, and i think similar to this bama tennessee game one of you know, I don't know that necessarily the team with more rushing yards will win. I'm real sure of it in that game, but you're going to need to find some balance, right? Like I look at Florida State and I go, if you line up and you drop back and you just throw into the secondary all night, you're going to have a problem, yeah. right? I, I I think I think in the passing game, I think Jaheim Bell could be a big deal. I think Lawrence Tofili could be a big deal. You have to stay away from the outside the numbers <clears> against this Duke team. All right. The other thing, Troy Benson, 200 yards against Virginia Tech. But I don't believe he has 80 yards in any other game. They, they need to get this going. They need some balance 
because you know you've seen their when they're at their best they do have balance you know when they found when they were running counter against LSU when Benson had 200 against Virginia Tech you know you know they gritted their way through the Clemson game without any balance right they really gritted, gritted their way through the Boston College game losing the rushing battle they need some balance in this game if you get into a situation where you're behind against Duke and you're just dropping back throwing the ball their secondary is actually the best part of their team now it goes the same way the other way for Duke you don't want to be thrown at these corners either. And Duke doesn't have a ton of speed on the outside. All right. They they really the big thing, I think Riley Leonard's health actually could be an X factor for Duke. If he's healthy enough, and Florida State's gonna run a ton of man coverage. And maybe this goes for Jordan Travis too. When you see teams that run a ton of man, mm-hmm. your quarterback has opportunities to run the ball, right? They talk about this all the time. Everybody's back is turned, it's one on one, it's face guard, and it's all that stuff. The quarterback run game could be massive in this game. But it all starts with finding ways to scheme through these corners for both of these teams. Because And I know it sounds funny that everything, the focus is on when you have Jordan Travis and Riley Leonard, Coleman, and and, and, and all this stuff on both teams' offenses. Graham Barton, let's say, up front for Duke, right? Just NFL draft picks left and right. And yet, I, I think everything is based around these secondaries, scheming things open, Right quarterbacks taking off running when they have the opportunity finding balance to maybe you know soften things up or or, you know when you're getting out on the edge and you know people are running with motion and man coverage there's so many different things schematically that can happen in this game but it starts with working around two excellent secondaries yeah dude you you took everything out the words out of my mouth man i think that is exactly what i'm looking at too is that you know my big matchup besides uh, Duke's receivers against Florida State secondary, which I think you did a great breakdown of, is is Florida State's receivers against Duke's secondary. Right now, Keon Coleman mentioned how Ryder Leonard is a first-round prospect on PFS Big Board. Keon Coleman, top 15 overall prospect on PFS Big Board. He's the number three receiver in the NFL draft, too, behind Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors from LSU. Johnny Wilson is a second-round prospect on PFF's big board right now. Jaheim Bell is one of the top tight ends on PFF's big board right now. And Jordan Travis, the guy who you know leads them all, is has a top-20 grade among FBS quarterbacks this year. So this is a deadly passing attack, and I think it's a really interesting point you made in that Keon Coleman at Michigan State, all he did was jump balls, dude. All he did. That's what made him great. And Johnny Wilson is six foot seven, 240 pounds. He looks like an NBA small forward out there. And the fact that they're struggling in jump ball situations is alarming almost a little bit because they're not really, you know, Keon Coleman's a, a pretty good separator, but this is not a team that's just going to beat you by route running. Like Florida State is going to beat you by just going up and getting it because they have the size to do it. And so that's a little alarming that they're not, you know, taking advantage of those contested catch opportunities. You mentioned Duke right now. Their coverage grade leads the country, 93.9 so far this season. That leads the country. You mentioned Miles Jones. Duke also only allowing about 4.3 yards per coverage snap. That is the second fewest in the nation, I think only behind Penn State. And we mentioned before how Penn State, the offenses they played have been pretty atrocious. So you can make an argument Duke really does have right now the best secondary, or one of the best secondaries at least, in college football. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting game. And I think the quarterback run game, I think, was something I was going to bring up too, is that Jordan Travis is a really good runner of the football. We know this from last year. Riley Leonard is really good. I mean, he basically won that Clemson game himself on his legs. Uh, but if Riley Leonard, with that high ankle sprain, even if he plays, if he's not 100%, and if he can't move like he used to be able to, then it could be a long day for Duke's offense. But ultimately, Dalton, 
Who are you rolling with in this ACC ranked game? I, I I think I think I like the Seminoles in this game. They're at home, and and the questions about Leonard's health, even if he's healthy with a high ankle, it's just it's hard because you're, then you're always just one hit from just not being able to move at all. Um, I, I like Travis at a hundred percent having his mobility. He's a, he's a dangerous runner too, and he has been for a long time against all that man coverage. And and he's I think there's going to be times where Duke's secondary is winning the battle, and he has to take off and run. I, I think both of these teams are going to need balance. I think Travis is going to add more to that than Leonard is either on the bad ankle or just obviously out. You know, I, I think it's funny. It's funny you mentioned with Coleman because I heard somebody, I forget who it was earlier in the week, kind of compare him to Brandon Marshall. And oh, I, and I find it fun. I find it funny broadcast, that yeah. then I just, I just thought of it now and what him and, Wilson remind me of a little bit is when Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey were with the Bears. Yep. And it didn't seem it didn't seem like they were ever open, but they should be because they're so darn big, right? It just I, just a weird comparison that I thought of in my head just I like now that. that I was like, yeah, kind of like kind of cuz uh, does Alshon Jeffrey does Johnny Wilson not seem a little bit like Alshon Jeffrey? He's not the best separator in no. the world, but he's so big, he's open anyway, right? Yeah. A- anyway, I think I think it you know, the game being in Tallahassee, Jordan Travis, he's just become a, almost a master of grinding his way through games like this, right? Of just, you know, they were down to LSU. They they were struggling with Clemson. They were struggling with Boston College. I, I think this is another game where I just go, man, you feel like with the adversity Duke's now having with Riley Leonard, and they're not wicked explosive on offense, that Jordan Travis, even if this gets to be a defensive struggle, is going to find his way through it. It's just kind of what he does, and and I think his I think his feet actually could be the biggest part of this game. You, you, again, man to man coverage. Florida State's having some problems finding balance in a traditional run game. I, I'd really like to see him get out get out on the edge on some bootlegs and then just take take off running when he has opportunities. I'll take Florida State um, thirty to twenty two. Okay. That's fair. I, I'm going to go with Florida State as well, 27-21. I think this is a great point is that maybe the winner of this game, you mentioned how the Tennessee-Alabama game will come down to who runs the ball better. The winner of this game might be what quarterback runs the ball better, honestly. With all the man coverage that those defenses play, it could come down to that, and these two quarterbacks are very mobile, and hopefully Leonard has his mobility back after suffering that high ankle sprain uh, three weeks ago. But listen, I think if Riley Leonard plays in this game and he's healthy, Duke has a good chance of upsetting Florida State because I think they do do some things that could really uh, challenge the Seminoles, especially with Riley Leonard in the run game. But since his health remains an unknown, I feel pretty good about Florida State in this game, especially if Leonard doesn't play at all, then I, I think the Florida State could really blow him out maybe in this game. But it's going to be a great game. I, I'm really excited for this one. This is actually the last ranked opponent that Florida State currently has on their schedule until probably the ACC championship game. Maybe one of the uh, – I think they play Miami and they play uh, Florida as well. Maybe they join the top 25 uh, at that point. But right now, Duke is the last-ranked team that Florida State has. So they have a really – they have everything in front of them right now to make the college football playoff. It's just about not screwing up, really, for the Seminoles. But the last game we're talking about is a couple teams who have screwed up this year. Number 14, Utah. 
at number 18 USC, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. The storyline, just like it was for the last game we talked about, is will this finally be the week, Dalton, that Cameron Rising suits up? Because he has yet to play in the first six games of the season. He actually revealed pretty recently that he didn't just suffer a torn ACL in the Rose Bowl. He suffered a torn ACL, MCL, meniscus, and MPFL, which I'd never even heard of before, in that Rose Bowl uh, lost to Penn State over nine months ago. And it's pretty interesting because, you know, in our interview with Kyle Whittingham, which you can check out the Utah head coach, I asked him about Cam Rising. This is in the preseason. I asked him, hey, is he going to be able to go? And he says, hey, I think he's 50-50 for the season opener. Now it's week eight. Now it's not week one anymore. This is seven weeks later, and this guy still hasn't played. Now Whittingham is even talking about the potential of Rising taking a medical red shirt and coming back for his seventh season where they're in the Big 12 next year, maybe they can win the Big 12. So he might not play at all this year at all. But um, listen, last year Utah beat USC twice. They're the reason why, the only reason why, USC was not in the college football playoff. Right now, though, Utah has the fourth worst offensive grade on passing plays this season. So when you're facing Caleb Williams, man, you kind of need Cam Rising back more than ever in this game. And I think that's a – a pretty big factor is whether or not Rising will finally be able to go in this game. Uh, yeah, big time. And actually, to be honest with you, I have to give Utah a lot of credit. I mean, they've beaten some darn good teams. Yeah, they they lost to Oregon State, who is just as physical as the, the ones. They're really the one team in the Pac-12 that's just as physical as they are. Um, you know, Nate Johnson just trying to cobble together a passing game. They run the ball. They play great defense. They play complementary football. I, I have to give them a lot of credit with with the rising story being the biggest story of their season, and now he might he might just sit out the whole way. Um, what they've what they've been able to do, they're not going to win the Pac-12 with their offense, but what they've been able to do anyway with just the rest of their team playing such good complementary football, especially their defense. Man, that's that's just it's so hard to play defense when you know your offense isn't good for more than 21 it's so hard and, and the fact that they continue i mean iowa right Iowa's the same way it's kind of like it's kind of like that where you just go even more credit to them for are they five and one or six and one whichever it yeah, is right now one, yeah I, I mean you know and 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 even even the one loss i mean they got caught a couple of times early against oregon state it was only 21 to 7 it, it, just, it is hard to win like that every week, but I got to give them just a ton of credit working through that. Cause really you look at, you look at them without rising and without Keithy and you go, well, how do they score? Right. And I suppose they're really not scoring, but they're, they're winning anyway. And, and it's just their defense is just as good as it was last year, if not better considering the situation it, they're in every game and they're going to be in this one, regardless of, well, there's, there's plenty of factors that we'll get into here in a second why why they're going to be in this one, but um, they're, they're just dangerous. They're, they're just that team. They're that team that coaches put on tape and they go, oh, man, we got to play them this week. Great. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah it's they're just they're just that team. It's it's I don't want to say annoying, but like they just play such good, solid, sound football that they cause anybody problems. Oh, absolutely. And Don, so last week we, we mentioned we both pick USC, so we're not going to take credit for you know picking the right team in that Notre Dame game. But what we will take credit for, and something that I tweeted out, was we kind of called this whole Caleb Williams situation, man, and why he's struggling uh, a little bit more than people realize, uh, especially under pressure this year. So um, do you think that Utah can make him just as uncomfortable as Notre Dame did in this game? 
I think they could. I mean, they did it. They beat him twice last year, so they clearly know something the rest of us don't. Here's, I'm going to throw some Caleb Williams stuff at you. All right. In total, over. Well, actually, I'm going to throw this out there first. For weeks, we were we were griping about the USC defense, right? They had their best game by the grading. They gave up 48 points, but five turnovers, a kick return, all that stuff. By the grading, that was their best game. Their defense has played against mm. a Power Five team. Notre Dame still, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team with 251 yards of offense <laughs> score 48 points. Yeah. No, yep. Notre Dame did nothing spectacular on offense. That was, and, and they only had the ball for 25 minutes. It's hard. Look, we're just going to say it. Caleb Williams was the reason they yep. lost that game. Yep. Right? Over the last two weeks, Arizona, Notre Dame, right? 49 passing grade with six turnover worthy plays. Oof. This year, under pressure. Okay, it didn't get any better in the Notre Dame game. You ready for this? Two big time throws, 13, all 13 of his turnover worthy plays, and a 27.1 passing grade. All right, which among there's 116 quarterbacks who've been pressured at least 40 times this year. That is the worst. That is the worst in the country. The worst. Oh in a clean pocket, God. he's still the third best quarterback in the country. It's Penix, Shadur, Caleb Williams. He right now, and this is not an exaggeration, is is pretty much the worst quarterback in the country under pressure, which makes almost no sense at all. But you're seeing, you know, you see in this Notre Dame game, he's not taking off running as much. I wonder if he's just gassing out, having you know, having to run back there so much. The pass protection's starting to crack a little bit. The first three weeks of the season. They were second behind Oregon in pass protection. The last four, they're 50th. They've become a much more average pass protecting team, right? Last week, he was pressured 44% of the time. All right. And, and the one other thing I noticed on the back end, you know, we talk about the pressure. It's cool. Okay. If you get pressure, you still have to cover somewhat. I found it funny that Notre Dame, and I did not think I would see this at all this year against USC, they played a lot of man coverage last week. And, and Notre Dame's a great covering team. I go, wow, that that's, it's, it, with all their weapons, that still takes some guts to get back and cover one, right? Basically, cover one, put a spy so Williams doesn't go too far, and, and just, well, let's go. Notre Dame challenged them. And I go, wow, is this, like, new, or is it just a new? All this, And I noticed something the last four weeks. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado plays a lot of cover one anyway. Travis Hunter, Deion Sanders, you know, arrogant corner stuff. So... All of a sudden, teams are playing. It's four weeks in a row with this. Nobody in the country over the last four weeks has seen more man coverage than Caleb Williams. And I never, between his feet and the weapons, Rice and Williams and Branch and whatever else, and and especially the running, I never, never thought I would sit here and say, hey, this team's just lining up one-on-one and playing man across the board against Caleb Williams. (laughs) On paper, that makes no sense at all. It doesn't. It doesn't. But it's working. Yeah, it's working. The, the, in that in that stretch, right? Actually, this entire season against man coverage, a sixty-one point seven passing grade. Everything you think would not work against Caleb Williams is is working. And now I now I now they're playing. Now you get a Utah team. Okay, they run the tenth highest percentage of cover one in the country, man to man. Right, one high, one high behind. Man across the board, and if you want to play a spy because Caleb Williams, cool, right? Four-man rush, just – I told you, you know, I told you last week, don't blitz him. 
Don't blitz him. Just sit back and wait for something to happen. He's top He's top 10 in the country in time to throw. Top 11, somewhere in there. He's going to hold the ball. He wants to find it. And right now, under pressure, he's forcing it. Now, you've got a Utah team who won, plays a bunch of this man coverage. I'd have to look into it. But, you know, it's probably something that bothered him last year when they played him, too. If they're, you know, because Whittingham, just an excellent defensive coach. I want to highlight another guy, too, for Utah. How about Jonah Ellis off of the edge? Yep. All <clears> right. Yeah. They, it's not, you know, as a crew, they're not the highest graded pass rush team in the country. I think somewhere in the top 30. This guy, I'll tell you something, fourth best grade in the country, fourth best pass rush win rate in the country, nine sacks leads the power five. This guy's a problem. He's got multiple sacks in three straight weeks. This is a formula on defense. Utah's already beaten him twice last year. A lot of man coverage. And in a four, especially in a four-man rush situation, this uh, come draft time, this Jonah Ellis is he's going to start flying up boards. I'm going to tell you something. I don't think he's like the most explosive at like you talked about James Pierce, right? Being just this explosive speed to power athlete. Jonah Ellis just knows how to rush the passer. Uh, he's got he's got moves. He's got counter moves. I'm going to tell you, he uses his hands as good as any player, any defensive lineman in the country. Just inside, outside, spin move. He and he and you talk about hustling, like they talk about, like certain guys, like the Watt brothers or AJ or uh, Aiden Hutchinson, guys like that who hustle late in the play to continue to finish. This dude's a finisher, man. I'm telling you, he. If they try to block him one on one, especially with this kind of mediocre ish as USC's pass pro has been the last few weeks, they're gonna have major issues with Jonah Ellis up front. And I'm telling you, if Caleb Williams takes his, if he loses track of him late five six seconds into one of these plays, you know he had it was last week or the week before. I think it was last week he had a strip sack against Cal that yeah. really turned the game in Utah's favor. Yeah. He's he's a problem. I'm telling you, more than any other guy in this Utah defense right now, this dude is a major, major problem. And if you lose track of him, especially if Caleb Williams is going to hold the ball and he doesn't know where Ellis is at, he's going to have a huge problem because it won't just be throwing the ball into traffic. Now all of a sudden Ellis is just running you down. I mean, you, you talk about hustle and and just late play, just action. This guy makes it happen. Yeah. Dude, that literally, this is the entire breakdown I wanted to go with too, man, because that really is the big story is just how insane this transition has been for Caleb Williams under pressure. I mean, he literally lost that game for USC. You actually look at the team stats. USC, I think, outgains them in yards. They outgain them in time of possession. I think they average just about the same amount of yards per play. They have way more first downs than Notre Dame does. The only difference is... Five turnovers for USC, and all five of them basically gave Notre Dame the ball deep into USC's own territory. That's why Notre Dame was able to put up 48 points. Caleb Williams, that is the, probably the first time, not only his college career, it might be the first time in his life that he's ever lost a game for a team because he obviously has been he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, was his unbelievable quarterback recruit, has been unbelievable through two and a half years basically so far this year, so far uh, in his college career. But that was the first time, man, where it was like, wow, he, there's issues here. And he had four turnover-worthy plays against Notre Dame in that game. That was the most in his career. And you mentioned the, the under-pressure stuff. This isn't like a constant theme for Caleb Williams throughout his career. Last year, Caleb Williams had an 85.5 grade under pressure that led all quarterbacks in the country. He was by far 
the best quarterback in college football when he was under pressure because even when you get pressure on him, he dances around, somehow breaks out of the pocket, breaks out of sacks, and finds an open man downfield. This year, he's forcing it, man. He's he's really forcing it. This year, first last year in pressure grade, this year he's 135th in the country. There's only 133 FPS teams, by the way, and he's 135th among qualifying quarterbacks. So 28.3 grade under pressure. Last year, 85.5. So Utah, pretty good pass rushing team overall. Uh, top 20 pass rush win rate. You mentioned Jonah Ellis. He was one of my midseason All-Americans on, the I think, the second or third team uh, with how many sacks he has and how great he is as a pass rush win rate and overall as a pass rusher. Jonah Ellis has been unbelievable. This could be an issue for Caleb Williams in this game. Now, Cam Rising's not playing. So I don't know how much Utah's gonna be able to score, especially with how good USC's defense looked last week, even with giving up, giving up, quote unquote, 48 points. But ultimately, Dalton, will Utah get yet another victory over USC? And last year, Utah was the only reason why USC didn't make the college football playoff. They beat them in the regular season, then they beat them in the Pac-12 title game when all USC needed to do was win that game to make the college football playoff. If USC loses this game, they're out once again. So will Utah once again kick USC out of the college football playoff? Is this game at USC? It is at USC. <sighs> you still don't know. I, you told me uh, pre-show. I, you, do, I, you still don't know who you're picking. Are, are you still like I up still, in the air? I think this might be the hardest pick so far this year. Uh-huh. I, and, and honestly, USC, Notre Dame, for as much as we listed off stuff before um, – before the game last week, I, I, man, uh, this is hard because Utah still defensively does a lot of things that are going to bother USC and, and offense. They, it's the brand of football they want to play. Um, man, oh man, <laughs> you want me to go first? This, this you is can, you can think about it. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me, let me see what you got. Okay. I, this is, I, I'm telling you, and I know, I know it seems like bad preparation, but th- this is to no. me the hardest because I've just got, I've got one team with such, such, I mean, the USC is a flawed team, man. I mean, I, I know this game is going to be close. If this game was in Utah, I'd probably pick Utah. I, I'm so on the fence. I'm so on if you know what I'm just gonna do it. If it was, it, you know what, every, every blade of grass is the same, right? I, I, I'll take Utah for the fun of it. You Love know what? It. Okay. I, I think I think they play. They do play a similar brand of football to Notre Dame, and they've got. I mean, between Jonah Ellis, everything on this look, what we thought it would be, is that everything else on this USC team was gonna fall apart, and there was one day where Caleb Williams was gonna be ordinary, right? Like 300 yards and two touchdowns. And the rest of the team would let him down. And it flipped. And this is the problem. You know what? Here's what I'm going to go with. This is not a one-off with Caleb Williams. No, it's not. This is like this is like four weeks of this. Of just, you know, once they got into Pac-12 play, this hero ball thing, very much like Cam Ward, let's just say. Kind of the same thing. This hero ball thing is is not working. I, I'll make the Utah case just to get back on the good side of, of their of their <laughs> Twitter fans. If if this game slows down a bit and this plays really at the same pace, it's kind of a similar game as last week. Notre Dame's a little better on offense than Utah because they actually have a starting quarterback. But if you know, it's just I don't think the formula changes even with Rising in there. Look, they want to run the ball. 
They want to play complementary football. They want to play defense. They want to rush the passer, and, and they want to play a ton of man coverage. Defensively, Utah can absolutely keep themselves in this game. If they find maybe USC's defense, yeah, they played on the grades. They played well last week, right? You know, the the, the point total is, is kind of deceiving. But maybe you've got a team now in a similar style. If Utah can run the ball, they can win this game. Because we saw six weeks of not good USC defense, right? And we saw one week of deceptively kind of good, but also, you know, I mean, the reason I picked USC last week is I'm not the biggest believer in Hartman, and they're not real explosive, right? So you've got, it's one of the least explosive teams they've played, and Utah is in the same, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take Utah for the fun of it. I'm, I'm going to go, um, let's say they find a way to run the ball and their defense just kind of does the same thing Notre Dame did. Let's, let's say 24 to 20 Utah, because I really, this is the hardest one of the year, but their defense is going, regardless of the result, Utah's defense has all the same things Notre Dame does to give USC a ton of problems. I don't know if that'll mean five turnovers again. I would bet if Utah's going to win, they're going to need at least three. Um, but the way Williams is throwing the ball under pressure, it's entirely possible. They just, because last week, look, Williams had been doing this, and last week was just the first week where Notre Dame caught the interceptions, and the other teams they played just didn't, you know? So. Good luck, bad luck, all that stuff starts to happen. If Utah, if Utah can run the ball enough, and let's say they get three turnovers, they could win this game. I'll take them twenty-four to twenty for the fun of it. I love it. I'm going with USC in this one only because you know we mentioned on last week's show and we were wrong. Honestly, we mentioned what's the minimum USC can score, and we we're like twenty-seven probably. Well, they scored twenty against Notre Dame, but also. That was, I think, the worst game USC could ever play. It was that game against Notre Dame offensively. Uh, I don't know. I, I still would stick to like 24-27. Like that's, that's probably where I'd say USC's minimum. Utah, so far this season, man, they've had four games, uh, four of their six games, where they scored 24 or fewer points, three of them 20 or fewer. Uh, I just – I don't know. Without rising, Utah's offense has struggled so much. I think USC is going to bounce back and score probably 30 plus, and I, I just don't think Utah offensively will be able to keep up. So I got 35-24 in this game. I think USC is going to bounce back. They're going to get revenge on Utah. Caleb Williams is going to look better. I do think there's some major issues with USC, but I just I, I can't see Utah, with, especially without rising, and, and it looks less and less likely by the week that he's going to play at all this year. I just don't know if they can keep up with Caleb Williams, and I just. I know they scored only 20 points last week. I don't think it's going to happen again, even though Utah's got a great defense. It was in a very hostile environment, too, at Notre Dame. Uh, and he's at home now in USC. I, I got Caleb Williams in this one. I think USC keeps their playoff hopes alive with a 35-24 victory. But that's what we got for our Week 8 preview. Like I said, this is the fifth straight weekend where we have four ranked games, uh, which hasn't happened since 2012. So... Enjoy it. Make sure you park your butt in that couch, man, and watch all these games from noon until midnight. Really, uh, it's gonna be at, it's gonna be an unbelievable slate of college football. We'll be sending out some tweets from Columbus for the biggest game of the weekend in uh, Penn State, Ohio State, Dalton. But this is gonna be an awesome weekend, and uh, yeah, we appreciate you guys watching. Make you guys 
Make sure you guys tune in next Monday for our episode. Not sure what we're going to do just yet because obviously we're done with the midseason stuff. Uh, maybe some Heisman talk a little bit, but it'll be an unreal Saturday of college football. And, uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoy it. So for Dalton Wasman, for Bruce or Tyler, Bruce or Eli, I'm Max Chadwick, and we'll see you guys next time.